This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yehia Suhib in Washington. Here's what's coming up on African News Tonight. If there are two governments, two political tracks in Libya, it will be next impossible to organize serious elections. That's uh, Wolfgang Postai, former Austrian military attaché in Libya, on the need for Libya's divided political scene to reunite. Details coming up. Also, some Christian leaders in Nigeria want security officers deployed at all places of worship. A prominent dissident in Equatorial Guinea has died in prison. And scientists say ocean temperatures have hit a new record. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. Activists in Cameroon are urging more women candidates to enter races for Senate seats before a January 28 deadline. Only 26 members of Cameroon's 100-member Senate are women, a number advocates want to see doubled. But patriarchal beliefs and a lack of political support are preventing more women from contesting the March election. Mokedwin Kinzeka reports from Marowa, Cameroon. Female activists have been visiting political party leaders in northern Cameroon to push for greater representation for women in Cameroon's upper house of parliament, the Senate. Cameroon's president, Paul Bia, last week announced that Senate elections will be held March 12 with a registration deadline of January 28. The announcement prompted activists to push for more women candidates. Aisa Dumara Ngantansu is with the Association for the Fight Against Violence on Women and Girls. She says only two of the ten former Senate members from Cameroon's far north region, where Marwa is located, are women. Ngatansu says she is visiting political parties that will contest the elections to tell them Activists want gender parity among their candidates, half women and half men. She says it's delightful that many women who were quiet in the past now want to take part in politics. Cameroonian women have long raised complaints of low participation in politics ahead of elections. Activists say patriarchal attitudes still prevail in many parts of Cameroon, where women are expected to get their husband's permission before running for office. Funding campaigns is also a challenge, as many women candidates cannot afford the $1,650 deposit required to run for the Senate. Justine Diffo is coordinator of the group More Women in Politics. She says women's associations... Wealthy donors and political parties should assist women candidates with such campaign fees. Nous évoluons très insensiblement. Defoe says it is the wish of Cameroonian women to see political leaders, including President Paul Bia, respect promises they made on several occasions to give equal chances in politics to men and women. She says the March 12 Senate elections provide an opportunity for Cameroon to prove to the world that parity is not just a slogan. Political leaders have not responded to calls by rights groups for political parties to pay the deposit for women candidates. 
The ruling Cameroon People's Democratic Movement, CPDM Party, said in a press release it is examining issues raised by women activists and will do all it takes to have more women run for the Senate. The CPDM says four out of every ten candidates for the elections are expected to be women. Marie-Therese Abena Ondua is Cameroon's Minister of Women's Empowerment and the Family. Speaking on Cameroon's state broadcaster CRTV Tuesday, she says government training for women who register as candidates has made progress in gender parity. Ondua says from just one female lawmaker 30 years ago, Cameroon today counts 61 in the National Assembly out of 180 members. She says 30 years ago, Cameroon had fewer than three female mayors, but today there are 39 out of 360 in the country. Ondua says Cameroon is determined to assist women who are hardworking to gain political positions. About 15,000 councillors in 60 divisions across Cameroon make up the electoral college that will vote for 70 of the senators' seats. The remaining 30 are directly appointed by President Bia. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Marwa, Cameroon. The French news agency AFP says a prominent dissident in Equatorial Guinea has died in prison. 51-year-old Julio Obama Mefuman and a second dissident were seized in South Sudan in 2019 and flown back to the Central African nation. He was serving a 60-year sentence in the eastern city of Mongomo for allegedly taking part in a coup against long-serving President Teodoro Obiang Nguema in 2017. Equatorial Guinea's foreign minister tweeted that he had died but denied allegations of torture. Mefuman's death comes less than two weeks after Spain's high court announced an investigation into his suspected kidnapping and torture and that of a second dissident who, like Mefuman, also had Spanish nationality. Scientists are sounding the alarm as ocean temperatures hit a new record, a study published last week by researchers in China. The U.S., Italy, and other countries say climate change has increased surface temperatures across the planet, causing atmospheric instability and more devastating storms. Big coastal cities in African countries that contributed the least to global warming are expected to be hit particularly hard. Michael Mann, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania and one of the report's co-authors, says... Oceans absorb about 90% of the excess heat caused by human carbon emissions. But he tells VOA's Carol Van Dam that until we reach zero emissions, ocean temperatures will continue to rise accompanied by an extreme weather events. You know, this is the fifth straight year now where we've set a new record for ocean heat content, for the amount of heat that's buried in the oceans. And it's important to understand that the oceans are really where you want to go to uh, to look at sort of the net effect of human-caused climate change and human-caused warming. Surface temperatures on the planet can fluctuate quite a bit uh, from year to year because of things like the La Nina or El Nino phenomenon. And in fact, 2022 was only in the top five or six years when it comes to global surface temperature. But when you look at the overall heat in the oceans, it was yet another record-breaking year. And it really drives home the fact 
that we are seeing in a very profound way the effect of carbon pollution on our climate and on our planet. With some of these other reports about global warming, it's been said over and over that the biggest polluters are not paying for it like the African countries are, and they're already feeling the brunt of global warming. And then you have some of these, um, you know, coastal African cities, big cities <clears throat> right on the coast, that when you talk about ocean warming, I would imagine they're going to really be impacted. Cities like Dakar, um, Rovia, Accra, Abidjan, what are they supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, so the ocean warming is impacting us in, in so many different ways. Uh, it's contributing to the collapse of ice shelves off Antarctica, and that's destabilizing parts of the Antarctic ice sheet. Sea level rise, so it creates sea level rise, the inundation of our coastlines from that alone. Uh, but the increased ocean heat provides much more energy for intense hurricanes and tropical storms. The fact that the heat is occurring not just at the surface, but penetrating deep into the ocean uh, means that when these hurricanes churn up the waters, they're no longer bringing cold water to the surface. That's sort of a damping mechanism that tends to diminish the intensification of a hurricane. But because we're seeing that heat penetrate down below the surface and deep into the ocean, those hurricanes no longer churn up cold waters and that allows them to intensify even more. And so we see the combined impact in terms of global sea level rise from melting ice and these more powerful, more damaging hurricanes and typhoons and super typhoons. The net effect is inundation of our coastlines. And as you allude to, in tropical regions, um, places where they didn't really contribute that much to the problem. And in many respects, they're seeing some of the worst consequences and they have the least resilience, the least ability to deal with those impacts. And that's a real ethical quandary. And it's part of the, the complication of the ongoing negotiations. That's uh, Michael Mann, co-author of a new report in the journal, Advances in Atmospheric Sciences, and author of the book, The New Climate War. He was speaking to my colleague, Carol Van Dam from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa's office has announced that he will not attend the World Economic Forum in Switzerland so he can hold talks with state-owned energy company ESCOM and political leaders. This week, the troubled power supplier announced it would implement load shedding or blackouts for nearly half a day and blamed, blamed broken generators, sabotage and crime. Critics blame corruption for the company's failure to maintain equipment and provide services. Ramaphosa has been expected to attend the Swiss Forum to promote investments in South Africa, the continent's most industrialized country. South Africa is also planning to take part in naval exercises off its east coast with China and Russia next month. The country's media say the exercise called Operation MOSI, or SMOKE, will take place from February 17th to the 26th. Some observers are concerned the move could cause tensions within the country's top trading partners, including U.S., Germany, Japan, and the U.K. All have sanctioned Moscow for its invasion of Ukraine. South Africa's first post website says a Russian vessel was allowed to enter a naval base at Simontown early last month with its transponders turned off and freely move cargo there. Some speculate the ship may have carried 
ammunition. The government did not comment on its contents, but said that the cargo has been ordered before the outbreak of COVID-19. The U.S. government says it can place sanctions on any entity that violates its sanctions against trade with Russia, which will mark its first full year of war against Ukraine in February. You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. And for more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. During a visit to Libya last week, the head of the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, William Burns, warned against compromising oil ports and fields and urged cooperation in the divided country to protect the critical sector. Burns met separately with the Prime Minister of the Unity Government, Abdul Hamid Dabiba, in Tripoli, and with General Khalifa Haftar in Benghazi. He stressed that the current phase in the battered country must be transitional and away from any parallel political tracks. Burns said the United States stresses the need to stabilize Libya's oil sector and not stop its export, as has happened before. Wolfgang Postai, former Austrian military attaché in Libya, discussed Burns' meeting with VOA senior analyst Mohamed al-Shanawi. I fully agree that there must not be any parallel political tracks or government in Libya, but I doubt that the Dabeba government or the government of his rival Fatih Bashaga are able to lead Libya to elections. Nevertheless, if there are two governments, two political tracks in Libya, it will be next to impossible to organize serious elections. Regarding the oil sector, while there is certainly no way that Russia is able to make up for Russian oil exports to the West, especially to Western Europe, Libya is still a very significant producer. And consequently, in this part of the American-Russian containment policy, and in order to reboost global economy, a stable Libyan oil production is, of course, in the American interest. But I would say the very best way to protect the country's oil sector and to ensure that there are no oil blockades anymore would be to ensure that everyone in Libya benefits from its oil wealth, which is currently not the case. The people in the East and in the South consider blockades as a means of last resort to achieve this, to get their share from the oil revenues. And this should be also understood in the United States and in Europe. But according to news reports, Burns warned during his meeting with General Hutton Against compromising oil ports and fields, he said, the United States stresses the need to stabilize Libya's oil sector and not stop its exports as has happened in previous times. Would the general have to respect such a U.S. position? Yes, Burns certainly addressed this topic. And Hefter is still very influential in Libya's east, but I doubt that he has still the power to switch the oil production on and off as he wants. And he is certainly not able to do so in the south, in the sun. The disadvantaged population in the east, disadvantaged at least in compared 
dealt with the cities of Tripoli and Misrata, and especially in the south, is so disappointed, so disappointed from the lack of political progress, from all these discussions about upcoming elections and postponing elections and constitutions, and frustrated about the dire situation that the renewed oil blockade is a real possibility. And such a decision does not need Khalifa Haftar. This could be easily made, as it was also the case at times in the past, by local leaders, especially by the influential tribal leaders. And I would not bet that Hefta would have the power to stop them from doing so, even if he would want to do so. But I don't expect him to act against the will of the tribal leaders anyway, even if this would annoy Washington. As such a move against the tribal leaders could easily undermine his own position. Weber told the United States intelligence official that his government had a plan to increase oil exports to 3 million barrels per day over the next three years. Is that feasible and would that result in a more support for the Baiba government? Such a statement from Prime Minister Zabeba sounds certainly perfect in the ears of many in the United States and especially of many more in Europe. But even if one assumes that the situation in Libya in general and in Fezzan in particular would stabilize, really stabilize and remain stable over the next years, this would be extremely challenging from a technical point of view. Please keep in mind, the oil production is currently at about 1.2 million barrels per day. The highest oil production in Libya so far was in 2006 with just 1.75 million barrels per day. Before the revolution, it was at 1.65 million barrels per day. Today, Libya's oil infrastructure is in a quite bad shape. There is a lack of maintenance, or pipelines are leaking, new wells need to be drilled as several of the older ones are drying out. Altogether, this would need a much higher level of foreign investment and also much more foreign expertise in Libya to sustain and increase the current production in a moderate way. I would say an increase to 3 million barrels per day within three years is not very realistic, and the United States certainly knows about this. That's uh, Wolfgang Porstai, former Austrian military attaché in Libya, speaking with VOA's Mohamed El-Shenawi. A new UN report says Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State continue to drive insecurity in Mali. According to the Associated Press, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres says the frequency of Islamist attacks on Malian forces and UN peacekeepers remains exceptionally high, as does violence by other extremist groups and community, and community militias that violate civilian human rights. He says the number of people displaced in Mali increased from 397,000 to 442,620 as of October, with nearly 2,000 schools closed, affecting over half a million children. Guterres says stabilization in Mali will require implementation of a 2015 peace agreement. The Christian Association of Nigeria, or CAN, in Niger State is calling for the deployment of security officers at all places of worship, including churches and mosques. This after condemning the killing by gunmen of Father Isaac Achi, a Catholic priest, on Sunday morning. Local media reports say failing to gain access to Father Achi's home, the attackers set it on fire, killing him and wounding another priest who tried to escape. For more on the call for protection by the Christian Association of Nigeria, VOA's Peter Cloti reached Daniel Atori. 
He is the spokesperson for CAN in Niger State. The Christian Association of Nigeria uh, strongly condemned the act carried out by these uh, bandits. It's something that we don't want to happen again. We are calling for a thorough investigation into the whole uh, incident because they were attacked in the wee hours of yesterday, as early as 1 a.m., between 1 and 2 a.m., while uh, people were sleeping. They attacked them, burned down the parish, and killed the, the priest. The one who survived uh, had to uh, escape with uh, bullet wounds. And so we are calling on the, the government, both at federal and state level, we're also calling on uh, the police, the security agencies, all relevant stakeholders to take up this because we want to get to the, uh, I mean, the end of this whole thing. What has been the response of the state government and the police in Niger State? The commissioner of police uh, visited uh, the site yesterday and uh, what the commissioner said is very welcoming. According to him, uh, his men are already uh, uh, have been dispatched to uh, Fisher the Afterlife. And then the, the government of the state uh, the governor condemned the act. Uh, as a matter of fact, a statement was released also where he said the, the perpetrators should be booked. And our endless prayer is that investigations are carried out and then those who are responsible for this wanton killing are be brought to book to serve as deterrent to others who may have uh, such uh, nefarious uh, uh, mindset. Were there any assurances issued by the police and by the state government about ensuring the protection of, of life and property? Well, uh, the state government uh, previously have been doing that. You know, there was a time we had attacks. Uh, attacks were coming almost every week in the state. Uh, for some time now, the whole thing had relaxed, and uh, it seemed like the government went, not that they were going to sleep, but the same zeal they were using at this time, and they slacked because we have entered the political era. So most of the security agencies that are supposed to protect lives and properties are now working with politicians. However, they gave assurance that the lives of people, residents, will be protected. At the time, that was uh, during the U-Tide, December last month, a directive was given that uh, security agencies will be uh, situated in church or worship centers either mosques or uh, churches. And uh, that has been the practice all along. However, that we need a strong commitment from the government that all parishes, all churches, all worship centers, security operators, they are assigned to these places. That will give assurances to worshippers and residents. Well, since Khan is making the call, Will there be a follow-up to ensure that uh, security operatives or police are deployed? Yes, uh, uh, CAN will definitely do that. Hopefully, we CAN is going to meet very soon. Um, the executive members already put here together, knowing fully that the uh, priest that was killed uh, is the CAN coordinator in his local government. That is Paikoro local government. So. Uh, that means he's an ESCO member at the local government uh, level. Uh, Khan is doing everything possible and Khan is going to meet 
uh, I can't tell you when exactly, but uh, we are trying to put things together to see that we'll meet. And then these are some of the things we want to discuss. It's not just saying it. We need strong commitment from the government and from security agencies because we can't afford to lose lives, innocent lives. People who are adding value to, to the society, you know, can't definitely will take it up because this must stop. We are making a strong statement to the government and to the security agencies. How will this stop? If we have security agencies that are manning these worship centers, either mosques or churches, but most especially uh, churches or worship centers that are in the rural areas, uh, that will give confidence to worshipers to go worship their gods. So I'm very, very sure about that. Uh, it's one of the things uh, the body of Christ we're going to discuss uh, in a few uh, hours and a few days from now. That was a Christian Association of Nigeria spokesperson, Daniel Atori, speaking to VOA's Peter Kloti. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Iheyes Wuhib in Washington.